0: All right, so uh, Melissa, um, I want to thank you for watching and pay attention to Small Talk. I always love it when people text me, email me, message me, with her thoughts about the show. Um, Glenn uh, is is on tonight. Glenn watches uh, faithfully and I'll get messages from Glenn with stories and that sort of thing. I think that stuff is is great. And um, Melissa, you were watching a few weeks ago when I had Justin and Teresa on and we were talking about authority. And then afterwards you had sent me, um, so, so your take on kind of what you heard and the one thing that really stood out to you was this idea that um, people sort of toss around this, this idea that the problem that we have right now is the, everyone gets a trophy mentality. And listen, I don't want to totally take that idea and throw it in the garbage can. But at the time, what I said was, okay, I get it. Uh, That that might be a little bit convenient, but I think that that might be a little bit of an oversimplification of, what's going on with folks and what's going on with, with young people um, today. And it seemed like that kind of resonated with you. So that's kind of where I want to jump off it. But first I'd, I'd love for you to just introduce yourself to the audience and, and tell everyone um, who you are, what, what, what do you do for um, for a living and in your spare time, some of your interests, how you got to where you are right now, live on small talk. You've hit it big. What can we say?
1: So <laughs> the big time. All right. So, My name is Melissa Fiber Herman, and I have um, an extensive background in social conversations for sure. I was a dropout prevention middle school teacher. Um, I worked in South Florida and I came up to Citrus County back in 2000 and began working at Inverness Middle School as a social studies teacher. Um, I became an advocate for public education and labor contracts and labor negotiations and really got involved in looking at the social structure of what was happening in public education, especially with the youth. Um, I personally was an at-risk youth, um, teenage mom, You know, kind of had to dig myself out of some challenging life situations. And I had my daughter when I was 16 years old. So I do have a 26 year old. Um, who lives in Jacksonville, and I'm super proud of her as well as a nine, almost ten-year-old now. Um, my background was social science, sociology, and when I started with the whole labor movement and working for um, unions, I started to work with some of the blue-collar employees in Orange County, and I worked for. Um, Five years negotiating their contract and their benefits and really kind of looking out, the, uh, looking at the plight that people were struggling in in the last several years in our social structure and our stratosphere um, through the economy and then through the eyes of a Christian because I have a very strong conviction to my faith, um, but it is rooted in a lot of that reflection and a lot of that idea of social justice and a lot of that idea of compassion. And we were brought to this world um, to serve one another and to be a voice for one another and to speak um, truth to power and to look at situations from a critical view, but one with discernment and that we're supposed to learn discernment. We're supposed to learn wisdom. So Conversations about how things are working and how they affect people and how people are involved in situations um, really pull at um, my intrigue and my heartstrings. Um, for the last two years, I have been a life coach. I am a fitness virtual fitness coach, um, and I am also a financial consultant. And I work with teachers and. Uh, public school employees on the retirement plan. So I kind of um, left the labor fight and decided to help them in a more independently empowering way and help them plan the finances and the resources that they have and figure out how to be most prudent and responsible with those. So I am, in essence, an entrepreneur at this point in my life, and I am working in the you know self empowerment directions, and I'm also getting my certification in Christian yoga, which has that um, health, wellness, spiritual balance based in scripture and the philosophies behind that meditation and that practice. But in light of um, the Holy Spirit and listening to the word and, and allowing that to change us and transform us from the inside out. So that's uh, kind of encompassing of everything. Um, you may recognize my name too if you're local because my husband is a, an administrator in the public school system. He's currently principal at Pleasant Grove Elementary. and was at Inverness middle school and Citrus high school before that we met as teachers at Inverness middle school. So that was an interesting dynamic. He was an administrator and I was the union thug. <laughs> yeah.
0: and, uh, and he is a great guy. He was, um, he was assistant principal and my kids were at pleasant Grove and then he was principal uh, at least while my youngest was at uh, IMS. So yeah. 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 Listen, as a parent, I always feel comfortable with a guy like him at the helm, which is which is uh, which is important, right? As a parent, send your kid to to school. Uh, so right now it's in my kid to school on the Internet is where I send him to school. So he's under my tutelage now. Um, I, I had you know, listen and I did want to give this recommendation. OK, this is this is one thing that I plan on implementing in my house. Now, now there's no formal syllabus. He's not really getting credit for this. Uh, but with my son, I've let him know that we're going to institute shop class uh, here at the house. And so what is that? That is whenever something needs uh, swept up, cleaned up around here, fixed, uh, you know, simple jobs uh, He needs to get on it. And then uh, we're also instituting home economics around here, which is around lunchtime. And dad's working. Uh, he needs to go prepare the meals for his father. Right. So I think that uh, all in all, this is going to turn out pretty well.
1: So <laughs> Yes, my 10-year-old um, has learned how to scramble her own eggs now, and she makes her own PB&J for lunch.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if I listen to you and I hear you talk about social justice and um, uh, inequalities and and uh, your, your Christian faith, I could just hear someone out there saying, oh, my gosh, we have this rare breed of Christian liberal. Did you know where I was going to go with that?
1: Yeah. I, yeah. Yep. So,
0: so what 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 is what is that like? What is that? I mean, you knew that was coming. That was coming to come out of my mouth. So what what is uh what what's your thoughts on that when I bring that up?
1: It to me it looks like Jesus. To me, it looks like Jesus. Um, I in my conviction, in my belief, I definitely see Jesus as having that heart of humble compassion and wanting us to see the um, realities that other people see so that we can speak truth to them the same way that we would speak truth to somebody who is um, in error that we would call them to repent that we would call them to seek um, some kind of peace some kind of reconciliation um, if it's an offensive sin you know that in, in the political structure, in the political arena, a lot of times we are—we stigmatize the conservative movement with the, you know, Christian right and a cons- moral conservative values. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, conservative beliefs keep those, but in a lot of ways they don't. Not in the light of how Jesus has called us to do that in faith um, And at the same time, I think that um, a lot of things that are ideas of progressive or liberal are actually really truly ideas of compassion and mercy and that that's scriptural and that is the heart of the God that we serve and who wants us to have that. Um, And I think that that is historically relevant and true in the church and the the creation of the church and the, the mission of the church. Um, But I think that we get confused um, between the church and politics or political platforms when it comes to right and wrong instead of mercy and grace.
0: Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, I would consider myself a conservative uh, Christian. Um, And I I think I agree with everything you just said right i mean i think we just get bent up on particular issues and we don't see eye to eye and then we we demonize we go to our corners uh, we cancel to where we can't even have a conversation about whatever it may be and uh i th- i think that that situation has reached critical mass at this yeah. point to where just like you and i were were talking about so before we went live we were we were talking about the research around the pandemic. And one of the problems is that it's like, okay, well, this study says this. And the first question is like, well, who, who did that study? Who was it? What, what politicians touting it, right? Cause I got to make sure that it's on my side. And uh, so we don't just don't trust anyone. And uh, we just have such strong bias. I don't, I don't know how to get around that. A lot of it has to do with, with our personality traits, Right. Some of some of the reason why I'm a conservative, I was born that way uh, to some degree. There's a combination of nature and nurture. I mean, there's some there's some really good research that points us in that direction. You know, Uh, I I feel like I can't help the fact that my favorite biblical story is Jesus sitting in a corner of the temple making a whip, knowing that when he gets done making it, he's going to use that thing and he's going to turn over some tables. I, I mean, I said that on here a few weeks ago and I uh, someone messaged me and said he turned over tables. And I'm like, yeah, he did. That's right. But you missed the other part, my favorite part, where he actually whooped some folks too. Like, but I, the question I was like I can't who, help it.
1: who was he whipping? What was he outraged about? He was outraged. The the outrage had to do with the exploitation of the people who were coming to seek camp. The the exploitation of this is how you get right with God by giving me this revenue by giving me this money and withholding those opportunities for somebody to come and seek God and seek his face, seek his favor, seek his forgiveness. And that's what caused outrage. And I think what, what we get outraged about is where we get confused. And I know we had had a little bit of a dialogue, even in text and resources when we were kind of talking about these topics. Um, But a lot of that, I feel like as a society we're manipulated um, to pull on our sense of justice and injustice before we ever stop and settle in enough to say, is this really what I'm angry about? Or is it deeper than that? Why does this cause me a sense of outrage or offense? Why would this offend God? And then what is the root that God wants through that? So something like pro-life issues. I mean, it's, as a Christian, a no-brainer, right? As a teen mom, right? Yeah, because now it's like, well, some are more liberal, some are more in what if, but that's what, that's what happens when we start to get into the law, right? When the focus is about right and wrong and how to adhere to the law, which, you know, we know through the Jewish text that became an impossibility. The whole idea is that we can't live up to the law. We, we can't be holy. God alone has had to come and fulfill that righteousness, that holiness for us. But as a teen mom, before I ever became a Christian, one of the reasons I became a Christian was because I was pregnant and people said, you should have an abortion, that that's the only way that you're gonna get yourself out of this bad situation that you're going to wind up ruining your life and everybody else's life. Um, My daughter's father was not a good situation at all. And I was going down a very bad path. And I wasn't going to be a good mother in the state that I was in. And I didn't have any way to take care of a child. And the idea that I didn't create life just overwhelmed me that even though I was in a desperate situation and it felt like there was no other hope, this thing was outside of my control. But if there is a God and if life is valuable, that God will take care of. And all I could think in my, and I was 15 at the time, I was 16 when I had her, all I could think of in my 15 year old brain was, if I choose to have an abortion, That's going to undo what God wanted to do. And it's just going to make what was wrong even more wrong. But if I choose this God and this God does exist, I think he does. And I think he's going to take care of us. I didn't know Christianity. I named my daughter Karma because I believed that if I did this right thing in trusting God, that he would take care of us. And then when she was two years old, her father, who I would separate from, started to, thank you, Justin. Her father, who I separated from, started to take her to church. And through that, I learned who Jesus was. It took a long journey, but I learned the grace of God. And I learned, I was introduced to that God who had spoken to me years before. And God's outside of time and he can do that. But what he taught me was, That when I look at somebody in a situation that seems desperate in our eyes, there is a God who is a higher calling and he's sovereign and he will make good if we teach each other and encourage each other to walk in faith. So when we spur each other on to do good and to love and to have compassion and to repent, not of the sins, but of the sin. And the biggest sin is the lack of that faith and that lack of understanding that we are sinners who need a God. It was that humbling that said, I'm not God, but you are. So I'm going to trust you. And I remember that call when my daughter was two and I was sitting in a church and I was offended by Christianity. I really was because they were so self-righteous and i heard god say as the preacher was doing an altar call come up and i went i don't need to in my head i don't need to come up because you're telling me to come up god knows that i'm going to trust him and god spoke to my heart at that moment and said and if you do you're going to stand up for me right and i oh. <laughs> and i got up and i went to the front of the altar not because the leader of the church was calling me or not because i felt pressured by anybody else but because if i didn't I was saying to that God who was speaking to my heart that I didn't have enough faith to not care what these people said either way, but I was going to walk forward and follow after him.
0: What made you, what, what made you so confident that that was actually like the God of the universe speaking to you in that moment, as opposed to just your, your conscience, you know, something maybe that someone had taught you at some point that, just still resonating with you, you know, some, some uh, cognitive sort of, you know, construct.
1: Uh. Cause I didn't have that construct. It wasn't what I was taught or brought up with. It wasn't my, it wasn't my conviction or belief system that I had been raised to think was right or wrong. And as a matter of fact, I found it personally offensive. Interesting. It was, Instead of coming from here in a rationale, it came from here and said, I got you, rest. Which is interesting because that's what my second daughter's name is and it was 16 years afterwards. But Selah is that rest, that pause, that silence that God has in the book of Psalms. And it's undefined or doesn't have an actual exact translation from Hebrew to English but it essentially means that pause or that breath or that sigh of God. And it's that hush rest. So that's, it, it It had to do with, and the Bible talks about us having ears to hear and eyes to see, to smell his aroma. But it, I taught my youth kids when I worked with them. It's like, if you ever put a blindfold on and had people just talk and you had to try to identify who their voices are the more you know someone or spend time with them, the more you recognize their voice. And the more that we spend time laying everything out and just being as honest as we can with God, the more he allows us to recognize his voice and the more we can discern what the other influences are. And sometimes they align and sometimes they don't.
0: Yeah, I'm... uh... You know, I'm just thinking to myself that uh, I love, uh, yeah, we're going to, have to get Justin on here. He He's probably inclined to pass the plate right now. You know, <laughs> um, so uh, w- one of the things I love about just doing this show is that uh, it the, the conversation is completely organic. I always say that I had a friend of mine recently said, so you guys don't really prepare. No, I don't really prepare. Um, so I didn't uh, anticipate it going this direction, but this is good. So I have a friend that he and I will talk about the abortion issue. Uh, he's a Christian. He's certainly more liberal than myself. And, um, and, and I am very pro-life. Um, however, um, I have empathy for anyone that would make that decision to, to terminate a pregnancy. So much so that you would never look on my Facebook profile or newsfeed or whatever they call that and see anything about uh, abortion or, you know, killing babies or anything. I I don't, I just, I can't engage in that because there's just too many people who have had to make that decision and, and either regret it or have some level of discomfort um, about it because even if they look back and say, well, you know, I, th- I think I did the best thing. It, they were probably still choosing, making a choice that they knew that they were uncomfortable with and didn't have to make. And so I I just I don't want to heap up any shame and condemnation upon anyone, despite what I what I believe. And the other thing is I haven't been in that situation before. I've never had to make a decision like that Um and I'm a guy that doesn't that believes that you shouldn't complain about what you tolerate. I mean, if you're going to be down at the uh, abortion clinic waving signs all day long and yelling and screaming uh, obscenities at the women that are walking in there, then you better have like a truckload of kids over there that you've adopted, right? Right. Or you can go to hell because I don't want to hear it. That's ridiculous. Um, and um, uh
1: well, and that's part kind of, of
0: the thing about, Like most things for me, I, I, I feel like we either uh, grossly over overcomplicate or we um, grossly simplify issues, and oftentimes we just got to find that middle ground where where the truth lies.
1: And I think that's the whole idea of where our faith centers us you know, and everybody has a faith in something. The question is, is it centering us into balance in some kind of way? And kind of why I think this whole Christian yoga thing is such an amazing door that opened up for me, because um, before I had Christ, um, and I thought that, you know, Hindu, Buddhism, you know, polytheistic, earthy kinds of, faiths were much more harmonious and much more peaceable. And, you know, that's that's where people can really find grounding. And what I discovered was you can't, you're never going to be good. You're never going to master that whole, you know, figuring out how not to get yourself into a sin. You're never going to figure out how to save yourself. You're always going to be walking in brokenness in one way or another. And in some extreme, even our best deeds are as filthy as, as dirty rags. Um, but I didn't know that that's what that was. I just was trying so hard to not be a screw up, to, to not continue to mess up my life and my daughter's life at that point, to to stop deserving the pain that I was in, because that was the mindset that I had had. And it ties into almost any religion that, you know, we work our way into being good enough and life will work out if you don't make all those mistakes. But even our best decisions, our mistakes, when we're centering them in ourselves, the fact that God saw that brokenness and had mercy and compassion on us to come and deliver us and said, I got it and covered us. He walked alongside. He said, I gotcha. I gotcha. That's where when we see somebody in any sin, instead of heaping condemnation on them, we're coming alongside and saying, I gotcha. This is causing you pain and no, you're not going to be able to fix it, but I know who can, and I know who has, and he just wants your friendship. He just wants your face. And that I feel like is the missing key when we find ourselves on the extremes of both sides, but in that balance, it's centered in Christ and that Holy Spirit can give us those ears to hear and we're not hearing right and wrong we're hearing where he says there's need here bring it
0: so we have a society that has tons of people that are are not christian that are not not going to go along with that they're not, they're not they're not going to rock with that line of thinking a uh, period right and so i sometimes i just wonder if the fact that that is the situation if that's not contributed to the 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 discord in our society because at one point um, we could have said uh, much more firmly than we can today that this is a this is a Christian nation right this is a Christian nation well I say I still say it's a Christian nation because you just got to go look at the calendar and see what days off you get you know from your job um, so yeah. But I think nation, the problem
1: but, is that we assume that that's what Christianity means. That Christianity, well, you know, is that you observe certain holidays and certain traditions. and my, Practices.
0: Yeah, this is George's gross oversimplification <laughs> that he was just complaining about just a minute ago, right? But,
1: but I, you know, it's interesting because when I coach and counsel with people who are not Christian and they hear that perspective of my faith and my Christianity they're drawn to it. like They're like, oh, wait, that's not a Christianity I've heard about. So so tell me about this God you're talking about. I'm like, it's the God of the scriptures. This is the Jesus that the Bible talks about. I believe in every single thing that that Bible says, a hundred percent. But the Christian teaching in church doesn't Always represent that in the eyes of a non-believer. So when we say it's a Christian nation, well, first of all, our Christian nation came in and slaughtered a bunch of Indians and stole a lot of land and enslaved people and all of these other injustices, you know, and our history is a human history of brokenness. We're not saved by a Christianity. We're saved by a messiah, a Christ. And that's not necessarily the same thing, you know, it it has to do with what the words mean to you different ears that hear
0: it all right so when you were watching a couple of weeks ago uh oh in justin uh, <clears throat> justin shared that he is a pro-life from the womb to the grave there's a lot of interesting conversation that could be had along those lines too it was a couple of weeks ago maybe uh, i saw that a mutual friend of justin and I have posted something on facebook um, about being pro-life and christian and maybe as that relates to the death penalty. I saw that Justin had um, commented on it. It was just one of those posts where there's so many comments, I just didn't even have the energy to get up to up to speed on the conversation. But, um, yeah, a lot of interesting conversation to be had along the way when it comes to, like, death penalty as well. Um, so uh, what, maybe that's a conversation we can have uh, on an, on another day. But when Justin was on here, Uh, In fact, it was it was him that said um, you brought up the idea of the trophy generation. Mm -hmm. What was it that kind of stood out to you at that point? What what about that got your attention?
1: So the conversation was was about authority Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, that this whole respect for authority and and where we're possibly losing respect for authority and i think the conclusion of it being because we're a trophy generation i think kind of lost me because i feel like as a human as as human beings within the human condition we have an issue with authority and that goes back to the first sin, right? That goes back to the original, you can be like God if you just eat the fruit from the tray. Um, and didn't God not say. And so we're always looking for a loophole out of authority and the inclination to just submit for the sake of submitting has been our struggle and why we needed salvation. Um, but I feel like the awarding the trophy kind of situation is lost because well disclaimer I ran a marathon a couple of years back my very first marathon I'd lost 50 pounds was extremely overweight had a very hard time moving and my my body was not serving me well in the condition it was in and I ran a marathon 26.2 miles and somebody asked me did you win and I said, I finished a marathon. (laughs) He said, well, if you didn't win, you didn't deserve the medal. I was like, "Um, (laughs) I think you've missed the point. (laughs) So we run our own races, right? And we we are each in those races. Everybody getting the same trophy, everybody getting the same pat on the head in some ways is condescending and it does, you know, frustrate people because they're not getting their significance or their identity. And I think recognizing people helps to not make everybody angry at each other and try to somehow expose their own identity, their own beliefs, their own values in some sense of rage or anger. But at the same time, I feel like it, it oversimplifies and people do deserve to be recognized for their participation in life people do need to be recognized and i think they're hungry for that and you know the the trophy generation i feel like came after my generation and you and i are probably about the same age i won't make any assumptions mm-hmm. <laughs> But I was from generation X, we were called the latchkey kids and our parents were the first ones to both be out of the house working and our kids generations walked home from school and, you know, cooked our own TV dinners and took care of ourselves till they came home and sometimes put ourselves to bed. And that was, yeah, I mean, literally we were called the latchkey generation. Um, before that it was much more common for at least one parent to be at home and to nurture and it was a dysfunctional family that didn't have that and there were plenty of people that were struggling with that dysfunction but it became normal in our generation then our kids become that trophy generation but it's it's also interesting if you look at it from a sociological perspective 1970s, and we'll kind of go back into that abortion causation or generation, the 1970s is when abortion became legal. And my generation is one of the lower population generations, because a lot of people chose abortion. And there are a lot of human beings that are not on this planet right now that would have been the population of our generation would have been much larger. So you had the baby boomers, which by name was this giant boomed population that came out of World War II generation, the greatest generation. They baby boomed their kids. They gave them all that they wanted. They were very self-indulged. They received everything because they were going to have a better life than their parents, right? And then they all went to work and they all weren't home. And then the abortions started becoming pervasive and our population became limited in our generation. And then we have millennials and millennials are bigger in a boomed population than the baby boomers were. So we have a generation gap. Like, you know, we we always talk about that generation gap, but we have a real generation gap between a massive generation and a massive generation. And I almost from a sociological perspective looked at it like, an extinct or endangered generation. And Generation X in a lot of ways was that endangered generation. And so when you're looking at this trophy kind of millennials don't get it, everything's about them. They're they're looking at the baby boomers going, you're taking all of the resources and there's nothing left for us. They're having tendencies towards Less connected, less socially conscious awareness when it comes to life issues, um, end of life issues, elderly issues and the elderly are like, don't you know what we've done, you know, we deserve respect, we're going to go move to the, you know nice suburban areas and, you know, spend all of our retirement money and not associate. I I had retirees come into my classroom when I taught middle school and and they would tell me I haven't spoken to anybody under 65 in 15, 20 years. You know, they just, no engagement in that community. So there's, there's a lack of recognition of somebody's human experience on both sides of it. And they're not exposing each other to each other enough to see that commonality. They're not having compassion or sensitivity with one another because they're not identifying together. Where, you know, generations before you had two or three, four generations all within the same house or block or community and you, you grew up with grandparents and, you know, great aunts and uncles and all that kind of stuff. It's changing in our generations in our society now. So I feel like It's not just oversimplifying in that trophy generation, but it's that is almost like just a small symptom of the real problem. And that real problem is, again, that lack of connection and compassion and and identifying significance in another human being. And that causes, well, who are you to tell me you don't even care about me? You have no vested interest in me. Why am I going to listen to you? And then you wind up with strife.
0: Yeah, and, and my my point. Let's see if we can find some um, some connection between our two points. My point that evening came from a, a a great book written by Shelby Steele on the shelf behind me somewhere. Who, um, in talking about the civil rights movement the the you know Voting Rights Act, you know all that that happened in the '60s, he said that you know uh, it's always been the case that the younger generation when they're coming up they they have this point maybe in late adolescence where they start to really stray from the values and beliefs of their parents their grandparents but primarily their parents and their parents would say to them all right that's far enough no further and prior to the 1960s Shelby Steele would say parent those those kids recognized that their parents had the moral authority in in that situation. So the the kid would respect that and would come back and say, okay, uh, I'll respect that line. But what happened with the civil rights movement um, is, he says, that the older generation lost its moral authority. And maybe deservedly so. I mean, we could debate that, and that's not necessary. But, but in the eyes of the younger generation, they lost that moral authority because if, if the parent says, there's the line, don't go any further, then the, the child then at that point says, well, who are you? and What authority do you have? Because what you've done is you've played a role in a society that has oppressed uh, uh, people you know, for generations, and you've lost that moral authority. And so then they began to really, really uh, rebel and and, and and go beyond that line. And and actually, and Shelby Steele say, well, and they actually saw that that was working. It was working to their advantage. And so the same tactic was then uh, employed in terms of, um, you know, the environment and women's rights and all this. You end up with just calls after calls after calls after calls after calls and so so many of them actually even uh, you know militancy has been 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 used and just ramming policy uh, through using the courts uh, to legislate uh, because the the people in our country would never uh, maybe get behind a particular issue so what we do is we, we make sure that we um, file a lawsuit in the, the the proper circuit to go before the proper appeals court to, to, to make sure that we ultimately end up getting the ruling that we want, because we couldn't get 435 uh, legislators at, at the Capitol building to get behind something and the White House to get behind it. So we'll make sure we get at least five out of nine people in black robes to make the policy for us. And, and when five people in black robes are making policy for three hundred and twenty eight million people, then um, then there's going to be some compromising of 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 of, of our civil society maybe, Evelyn you know you you lose the what I think is just the genius of even the the federalist system where uh, you, you know you can choose to live in a place where the laws and policies and whatnot on the books actually align with, with your beliefs, and so that you can live, live there peaceably, right? And so, and so, I don't want to stray too far, but but you, wh- what I'm trying to what I'm trying to highlight is how how did we how have we now got to this point where we've got bricks uh, and rocks, and now just the other day in Portland, a guy gets shot point blank in the street. We got a couple of them over here talking about. These guys that had on hats that said uh, "Patriot Prayer," prayer—I don't know, something like that—but they were conservative Christians, uh, I guess Trump supporters, and they'd just shoot the guy, and murder him right in the street, right? So, so when I outline for you, Melissa, that that loss of moral authority is—is is that making sense in terms of your sociological viewpoint?
1: It It is. And I think there's a couple of things. One, I would say that it definitely goes even before the civil rights movement. Obviously, um, there's been movements since before then. And I, as a former history teacher, would start off my class talking about this whole idea of anarchy. Um, and I would teach my my students to kind of really analyze the idea of what anarchy means and we break it down it means and without arc means rule without ruler and this idea of what would it be like to live without rules and of course you ask a group of eighth graders if they want to live in a world without rules and they're all you know cheering for this idea until they realize that that's an impossibility so it's somebody will always become the ruler what happens when so and so takes your thing well then i'm going to take it back well then who's in charge who has the rule who has the power and then this this vigilante i'm going to do this i'm going to do that until you come down to the person with the strongest you know fight or can group up the largest group becomes the ruler. And this is what happens in a society when you get, you know, coups and vacuums and, you know, these political overthrows and why government in legitimate, so I was I wrote down the word legitimacy, the legitimacy of rule of law, and that you are doing this with honor, and integrity so that you can maintain that legitimacy. That's what happened when the American Revolution happened. They decided that England didn't have legitimacy of law. They shouldn't be taxing. They didn't have fair representation. We have our own place. We're being oppressed. If you take the idea of responsibility, the authority has to be responsible and sacrificial in its rule for the people that it's providing for, a good father has to be sacrificial and fair and balanced in provision for his family, then he has legitimacy of rule. But if he's out drinking and partying and never coming home and you know, messing around or wasting all of the resources of the house, and then he comes home and he starts yelling at the kids, well, the kids don't trust his authority. He hasn't given sacrificially for them. He hasn't loved them. Um, in a government, If you have a government that's oppressing or abusing its people, that becomes the question. So I think right now what we see, even going back to that civil rights era was, are the people within the country being treated fairly? And if if so, then the government should have legitimacy. If not, the government should be corrected to be fair so that it can maintain legitimacy, so it can maintain peace and law and order. And that, I mean, that is in the premise of the Declaration of Independence. And that's, you know, the whole idea of that social contract theory, Thomas Hobbes and John Locke. And, you know, we talk about you give legitimacy, you give power to the government because the government promises to use that power to protect you. And it's not just you, but it's the all of this together use that make up the you. Right. So if I'm getting everything I want, but my neighbor next door is. Um, being hurt or oppressed or abused or enslaved, then eventually that could wind up tearing down that whole infrastructure of legitimacy. Um, And when, you know, we talk about the whole coming back and establishing that authority, I taught Articles of Confederation when I was teaching American history. And, you know, when we're in the middle of that American revolution and you've got 13 separate colonies that are all saying we want to be independent and sovereign, we want our own way, we, you know, you want to live here and live by this rule and then you can go there and live by that rule, but you can't tell me what to do and I can't tell you what to do. It essentially fell apart before the revolution was even ended. The government couldn't stand with the idea of everybody getting their own way. It had to be in this the federalism system of compromised powers. And this is why understanding how our government was structured is important. So we can say, okay, is that being practiced? Is that being implemented in the right way? States all have their own independent power, but if something that's happening in this state affects something that's happening in that state, then we need to have a, a reasonable conversation about who then gets the deciding factor of that. And then if that decision is made legitimately, then we uphold it. And if it's not, then we have checks and balances that are supposed to fix it. But if it can't be, if it can't be discussed in a reasonable way, if everything that one person says and then the other person says is an immediate offense, we can never come to those conclusions.
0: Well, that's that's where we're at right now because let, let's take the issue of burning down buildings. Here mm-hmm. I am sitting in West central Florida And if uh, when when they were burning down the police precinct, in um, where was it? I don't know. I feel there's so many riots. I can't even remember where it was. Oh, in Minneapolis. Okay, it was in Minneapolis when they were burning down the precinct there. I was like, torch it, burn it down. Like I care. I do not care. Burn it. Why? Because when y'all have to build another one, that's your taxpayer money. But when the the rioters in Portland are ready to burn down a federal building. I'm like, no, 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 no. You stop right there because as a small business owner, I know exactly what I pay in taxes. I know all y'all that get that paycheck and get the FICA and all that and everything else. And you're like, oh yeah, this is what I brought home this week. You have no idea how much you pay in taxes. Well, I know because I get out a checkbook right? Well, I don't do it anymore. It's, uh, it's all electronic now, but I used to get out the checkbook that says George Smallstick Incorporated on top of it. And I write out that quarterly check and I don't want a penny going to pay for that building being uh, rebuilt because some fools want to burn the thing down. Now you're affecting me.
1: And so that kind of gets into that whole idea. Now that affects you. So you're concerned, but the people in in the city that are affected both ways are going to be concerned, obviously on both sides of it.
0: Um, But the issue for me is that if the orange man brings that up, that's the position of the orange man. Then, you know, you got a good 50% of the population in our country. That's like orange man, bad. Uh, It really doesn't matter. It really, you know, whether that is a plausible, uh, you know, um, which by, position to take? It came from the orange man, so it's, it's bad.
1: So important why somebody in authority has to really watch the integrity that they represent because once you allow that to become something that is questioned. Now, I'm not saying you know everybody's going to be questioned when we're in a campaign, but if if the things that you're doing aren't being self-evaluated first and measured for that legitimacy. Like you have to think about the full implications of everything you say and do as a leader. You have to take those responsibilities super serious and all the people that you're affecting if you take on a position of that level of authority.
0: I get it. But here's the thing is that we can't agree on what is moral and what's immoral, right? That's the problem. And we, 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 there's an internal str- uh, struggle, Melissa, that people have that they can't get over. So yeah. I brought this up a couple of weeks ago, and I just bring this up as what I believe is a fact. I just believe this is fact. I'm not making a judgment on this, but I just think this is fact. Go, go, go along with me here and see if you think that what I'm saying right now is factual. All right. Number one, if I, as a nonprofit leader in my community, were on video... Recording, saying the things that Trump said in the bus to Billy, what what Bush was that guy's name? Billy Bush. Would I would I be running a nonprofit if if one of our commissioners, let's say one of our commissioners or someone running for office locally were to say something like that, would they win the office? No. If I
1: was a teacher of a public school, right. Oh my gosh. Okay. would have so, my license, right? So
0: that's that's a fact, right? We could say that. That's a fact. We would not be in those positions. Okay. Or the local politician would not get elected by saying that. Um, is it a fact that the Christians in our community might just be the folks that are kind of leading the charge to be like, no, you don't vote for that guy? Uh, maybe not. Okay. In my mind, I think that's a fact. Is it? Is it a fact that those same Christian folk are going to Beat a path as fast as they can. COVID, no COVID, mass no matter whatever, to vote for Donald Trump on November 3rd. Yes, absolutely. You see Some what I'm saying? Some will. <laughs> huh? Some will. <laughs> oh, plenty are going to.
1: Yeah.
0: Plenty. Um, so so what, is, what does that mean? Well, it means all Christians are hypocrites. No, it doesn't mean that. But what I think it means to me personally and this is just we could come up with examples of this type of uh, discrepancy all day long between what a person says that they value and believe in what they actually do.
1: Congruency. Right.
0: Right. So right um, th- that's just a natural. It's a natural thing. But, but, but my belief is that. People are going to vote the pocketbooks. Right. That's why the economy is always one of those leading sort of indicators of whether a, a, an incumbent gets reelected or, or whatnot. And people I think are going to vote their self interest. I think that they're going to find a way. They're going to find a way to take their morals and their beliefs and everything else and put those in the glove compartment box real quick while they run into the polls.
1: And, and I think that in some of that, it's very true. I think the economy definitely pushes that. I think that propaganda, and again, you look throughout history, plays a big role on that. And we, we have labeling happening so rapidly. If you believe this, then, then you stand on this moral thing. And if you believe that, you stand on that moral thing. And I think that part of the problem is that we're, instead of feeling that internal conviction and that drive and that voice and all that stuff, we're listening to so much of the pressure of right and wrong that we're not actually stopping to have a healthy conversation about, is that really right? Is that really the, the prudent thing to do? Is that really congruent or consistent? Does that really make sense in the end? And if you take that whole structure and that whole conversation I think we'd be having a totally different dialogue and what somebody decides to vote on in the end may or may not change, but the conversation would definitely be very different. Um, I think one of the things that I really tried to hone in on with my students when we talked about this right or wrong thing is the idea of when are your rights right And when did they become wrong? And I think that that's where it's like, okay, what is that line? And so I would tell my students, you know, if I walked around my room and waved my arms like this, is it my right? Well, yeah, I'd look crazy, but it's my right. But if I waved my arms into your face, now I'm wrong. I violated your rights. So my rights end. When they invade, you're wrong. And why should I care? Well, because—and this is sociology—we are we are a community and organism. We have to function together. We can't function individually. We will fail to to survive if we're trying to do everything from grow our own food to heal our own medicine to do all individually on our own. We have to operate as a as a community. And if you allow parts of your community to get sick or be injured or be broken, it's like taking your hand. And giving it an infection, cancer, and then expecting the rest of your body to be okay. It's a part of you. And you may not recognize it at the time. But you have to take care of it. And you have to take care of your neighbor. You can't take your rights and bash them in the head with them. You you have to respect their rights also exist and try to keep that space and in that harmony. And that's what submitting looks like. Right? I mean, God tells us to submit one to another. And, and that's, you know, democracy that the, the majority is supposed to use its power to protect the rights of the minority. We forget that that's actually a premise of our history. But that was that was an American standard that we claimed, you know, part of the civil rights movement and the, you know, suffrage movement and the, you know. Ending slavery movement was wait a minute we're not actually consistent with that congruency and people started to say I'm feeling something not match with the convictions that I say I believe and the reality that I'm living in and we have to be sensitive enough sensitive enough to say I believe this is this decision really consistent and instead of saying well I'm gonna vote for whatever and platform and this because I'm this is it really consistent. And have, have an honest conversation and allow ourselves to be humble enough to say, all right, do I really believe that? Or is there something deeper?
0: Well, I'm fine having a conversation of what's right and wrong, but I, I'm kind of at the point now, and I have been for a long time, where it seems more productive for me to evaluate not right or wrong, but whether something's helpful or not. Yeah, because uh, oftentimes there's a lot of things that I could say that are totally right, but it's not helpful for me to say them. Right? So you you have a right to come waving your arms. Well, it's not very helpful. I mean, <laughs> even if you're in the classroom waving your arms around and you're not in my face, it's not very helpful right now because you look like a fool and I can't concentrate on what's going on here right now. Right? So um, you know, so maybe you know, for me when I go to the poll. I made no bones about it on this show. I'm I'm listen. I'm going to have to vote for the orange man. I'm going to have to, because that's what seems to me personally the most helpful at this point. I mean, it's not like I'm going to go in there and see, well, I guess I will. There'll probably be what good 10 names on the ballot. You know, most folk we never obviously ever heard of before. Uh, but no, it's going to come down to two people in a country of 328 million. Um, uh, one's orange and one's uh, senile, in my viewpoint, and I take no pleasure in saying. that. I'm not trying to be funny. If my, if my you know, if my father were in that condition, uh, I'd be leading the charge. Be like, no, 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 no. You, you need to stop. We're we're not going. To, we're not going to put our family through this. We're not doing it. This is not okay. The things I'm witnessing on uh, during his speeches and whatnot. But that that's just kind of where we're at right now. We've got those two people to to vote for and so it's not even necessarily a moral issue for me when i go to the poll you see what i'm see where i'm coming from it's not a moral thing it is a very practical sort of thing to where i've got to evaluate what's the most helpful thing here uh to do and to me personally uh the the choice is clear for me
1: and i i don't i don't holds the same feelings um but again that's part of the whole beauty of being in this country and that we have the ability to hold that dialogue um, for me as a Christian I personally um I'm, I'm just gonna put it out here I did a video on it a couple of weeks ago even um, when when he went outside and held the Bible over his head um, and I, I, I did a message, dear Mr. President, that's not what the Bible's for. <laughs> it's not for this. This is never what it's for. You should take it, open it up, kneel before it and talk to that God. And when he said, you know, I, I've never asked for forgiveness for anything. Cause I don't think I need it. I, again, I'm like, doesn't necessarily align with my faith. So to see people, um, see a conviction morally that he is the moral leader for a faith purpose when he specifically doesn't adhere to the faith principles that I believe are core or center in what I believe about my God, about Christ, about grace, um, and about dignity in life. I feel like I couldn't support what he's doing anymore. Um, And it breaks my heart when I see some of the um, offensive language and and, um, even like the the things that, you know, the locker room talk and all that kind of stuff to to women, um, immigrants, to disabled people, all of those different things that as a as a Christian, I feel like are the most centered, um, parts of, of what needs to be, be in a leader. And I just don't see those things in him.
0: If, if I went into the polls to vote, just, you know, purely on the basis of, okay, who lines up with my Christian faith? Um, you know, I, I guess I'd probably start with uh, I probably shouldn't even walk in there to begin with because um, I I don't I don't even I mean I I say all the time I'm I love Jesus but I cuss a little bit you know what I mean you know, I'm, I'm I love I, yeah I love Jesus but I drink a little I mean, I, I mean listen I know I I heard a pastor say one time yeah you know that guy says he's Christian and I go to his house and have beer in the refrigerator you know um, there's and listen. I'm not trying to draw an equivalence between that and some of the things that you just mentioned. By the way, right? I'm, I'm not. I'm not trying to do that. But we we all have our own sensibilities, and we can all say, "Well, all sin is uh, equal before God," and all the rest. I hear that type of stuff, you know, from folks, and and to, to which I just think is I, I think that's absolute nonsense. You know, you're not going to tell me that that uh, you know you're, you're walking out of uh, Walmart and you realize that bag of dog food that's on the bottom of your shopping cart uh, didn't get rang up and you just go ahead and you're like i'm just gonna go ahead and take it home uh that's there's no equivalence between that and someone you know getting shot on the street in the face the other day that's you know it's not that's ridiculous okay so maybe before god but not here on earth i'll tell you it's not the same and Uh, i think
1: that's a very important you know uh, clarification what what is here on earth there's mitigating factors all of us you know when we talk about rule of law and then there's that whole you know what you, moral because we use the word moral and that's what moral kind of talks about is that center that core um, that right and wrong kind of a thing and you know sin breeds more sin, right it it leads to that. so we're all gonna fall short, but when we come back and say all right, I did it. I ah, messed that up. It sticks in the back of your head. Crap, I didn't pay for it. Beat myself up for it until we say, "All right, I'm sorry," you know, or we harden our hearts and we're like, "It didn't matter." And then the next thing is something else didn't matter, and this next thing, something else doesn't matter until we find ourselves going, "What matters?" It's it's not necessarily an idea of perfection as much as it is a question of how sensitive are we to knowing that we are sinning, that we are fallible, that we do fall short and that we need a savior?
0: Well, back, back to my point, listen, I, um, if I made the, the morality, the the central theme and the central issue, then I mean, who would, who would we put up there? Right. I mean, I'm not personally, I'm not electing a, uh, the, the, the moral, arbiter of all that is good in the world as president. I'm not doing that. That's not what I'm doing.
1: And there's, it's impossible because there nobody can fit that role. I mean all of right. us fall short. So yeah, that means everybody. There's not going to be a politician that's not going to have fallen short. Absolutely. Right.
0: So, but Absolutely. but 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 certainly there's going to be those things for some people that are you know they have their one or two hot button issues and uh, that's just that's just going to be it. Now, you could sit and you could say, well, okay, well, uh, the president, whoever it is, it doesn't have to be Trump, but but the president has done this, 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 this and we could ha- have a long list of great accomplishments uh, for that job that has to get done. Um, well, but I'm not going to vote for him because, well, I've, I've just determined that uh, as it relates to my attitudes and beliefs and values and principles, uh, it doesn't he doesn't line up with with the Christian faith and okay I, I get it but the probably the most divided time during our country uh, of our countries on Sunday morning anyway yes yeah, you know we, we can't we can't we can't agree on what uh, what what the Christian faith actually I involves know. I was telling Rebecca this uh, maybe this morning or, or or yesterday saying I remember when females, we're not allowed to cut their hair because it was their glory, and uh, I remember the girls in the Christian school that I went to were always wearing dresses, skirts if they were long enough, and they might get really scandalous and wear some culottes. And uh, it, you know, because if they did anything other, God forbid, they put on a pair of jeans. God forbid we have quote unquote mixed bathing where boys and girls jump in the swim pool together. Um, you know, it just kind of makes you wonder what's well what's the state of Christianity going to look like 50 years from now, 60 years from now? What will that look like and how will that affect people's uh voting and, and you know and
1: that's why I say the whole morality of it isn't so much the issue in my in in my perception as the humility of it. So the the sensitivity of somebody's value as a human being, as a leader to me, I feel like is the most important thing. The sensitivity of the, when we talk about sanctity of life, like understanding that the words that we say can hurt people and we're cautious and responsible with them. Understanding that the um, unity that we bring among people is important and that pitting one group against another is dangerous so in in my mind i see it as the sensitivity of that and the willingness to repent and be aware when we're wrong and that's the part in the leadership that I feel like is the most valuable, not necessarily what platform somebody stands on or whether they've said a bad word or sinned or, you know, had a divorce or ever, you know, drank or smoked cigars or run with women, right? Um, It's more about that. Where are we in the ability to repent of the sins that we will commit? You know, are we personally convicted of our own sins? And do we have a sensitivity in that? And a good leader has that. A good leader can say, "I was wrong. Let me backtrack. Let me reevaluate. Let me see how I can help." And that first, I'm responsible to take care of the people, like a shepherd.
0: You know, I don't, I don't think I don't think that there's one thing that Donald Trump could come out tomorrow and say that would get uh, turn uh, any significant amount of people who presently, right now at 9:13 uh, p.m. Uh, to get them to turn around and say okay. All right, that's a good point. Make, okay, maybe I can I can get behind that. I don't think there's anything. When I when I listen to people say, "Oh, he's so divisive, he's so divisive, he's so divisive." That's coming out of the mouths of people who 5 minutes ago were calling him Hitler and saying that he is the reason he is a murderer because of the COVID rates i mean we actually have when covid really started hitting and, and the numbers started going up uh 60% of democrats at the time were polled and there was a poll and 60% said he's a murderer it's him it's like okay well the 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 irrationality in my mind of those types of statements and those types of positions and that type of um disconnect uh incongruency maybe we we could say of he's he's divisive who's divisive you know the guy over there hitler you know the orange guy hitler yeah he's divisive i mean i just don't think there's i mean we could talk about he'd be a good leader but i just don't think people would get behind it
1: i, I mean and i think
0: and, and paul makes a good point paul makes a good point he, he is uh he is divisive but uh you know paul says he he could care less who the president is. But um, and, and really, if our system was functioning the way it's supposed to, I think that that we really could to much degree a uh, higher degree, care less who the who the president is. Because I think it, probably we care more than anything because of the uh, because of the media and the 24 hour news cycle. That's probably why. But here's my point I, I wanted to make is that I get the empathy, the humility, you know, all this or all these virtues and that sort of thing. And at some point, I say, "Okay, well, we need members for the uh, the, yeah, the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, and we also need members for uh, SEAL Team 6, Right? There, there are, you you could get to the point where we could say, "Okay, well, let's talk about hooking people up to functional MRIs and figuring out what part of the brain is really firing over here." Right? Uh, how how well does their amygdala light up? How, <laughs> how how well does the prefrontal cortex light up? I mean, we could. I mean, some of this is just, it's just simple biology. And that—and that's the thing is sometimes I get lost with, with folks when we talk about um, even Christian virtues and whatnot. I'm just like, look, man, uh, God didn't wire that dude up for that. No, he's really not biologically wired up for that. And if he had a a, a, a TBI, you can pray all day long for him to be sweet and loving and, and you know bring the donuts to church on sunday but he's not going to he's gonna cuss you out that's what he's going to do and say what you want to about jesus that's what will happen you know what i mean so it's like there's more to it than just, yeah, the, just the motive right
1: the kumbaya kind of sit in the yeah the, that whole hippie type of you
0: know there's something happening there's something that happened up here there's some wiring up here that uh That really makes me love Jesus with a whip in his hand.
1: But remember King David was a warrior. Yeah. King David was all
0: messed up. Every one of them was messed up.
1: (laughs) Messed up. But he humbled himself before God. And that's what made him different than Saul. King Saul fought for his own power and wanted to preserve his own power and stopped thinking about what the people needed and what God wanted and and where where they were being led to david was a warrior king but he also repented and you know whether somebody whether trump comes out and says something at some point that you know could be pivotal to change the world's mind i don't think is the real issue and i i mean i'm not talking about like political turn the votes and all that stuff i think as a as a person having this conversation Christian to Christian, the real issue is how is he standing before God and how does God feel about that? Because God is the one who's really in charge and he puts leaders in charge and pulls them out. But then the question is when when he does things that are against what that conviction is and then still won't acknowledge that, like doesn't acknowledge that it hurt somebody doesn't acknowledge that that leadership responsibility was his as Christians. So this becomes a different thing than American against American, but as Christians, the congruency comes in where we're like, do we, do we side with this or are we, are we actually asking God to turn his heart? Are we actually asking God to turn things around? Are we actually praying for our country to be born again for true repentance, for people to have compassion against uh, for one another instead of standing in opposition to one another, instead of us standing in judgment against protesters and police um, for us to stand in compassion. And I think it was the most beautiful thing when I saw law officers taking a knee to say, I am with you, I feel you, I hear you. And these were peaceful protests, no matter you know, what the other areas were doing, these really were peaceful, unifying moments where community came together. And that's, that's where I think as a Christian, I go, I, I stand pretty hurt. <sighs> by the things that I hear that president say, and then hold up the Bible and say that he's justified because he's holding a book that I think is very sacred above his head. Cause holding that book above his head didn't make it right.
0: Yeah. I just, you know, I, I'm searching right now for things that he has, he has said uh, in office. Okay. I've already mentioned one when he was not in office. Okay. I'm trying to think of things that he said in office. Um, that really gets me riled up. I do think of like when he was talking about the Michigan congressman that he's probably not looking down on us now. He's probably looking up and I was just like, you idiot. Are you serious right now? Why do you do this to yourself? You know, just dumb stuff like that. The guy just sticks his foot in his mouth uh, a little, a little too much. Well, probably way too much. Um, I don't know, but I'm just, uh,
1: when he mocked the reporter that was handicapped,
0: <clears throat> when, when did he do that was that was that on the campaign trail he did that was that pretty that was pretty early on yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, well, that guy's
0: gonna mock anybody that uh, i don't I don't know the whole story there
1: That makes but, them feel a little threatened or yeah,
0: sure. or insecure.
1: But, yeah. Oh, yeah
0: absolutely yeah. absolutely I, I don't I think it I've always said I've said it on this show that I think that uh, the, Donald Trump likes people that likes Donald Trump oh uh, that, that's the bottom line I don't think he much cares about your, your station in life or, or, um, you know, your color or whatever. I think he's just most concerned about, do you like him? Are you, are you going to, are you going to try to, to knock him down? You know, I mean, if you like him, he's going to like you bottom line, which by the way, is probably a natural human response. I would just say to, uh, the president, Hey, um, that's not helpful. Okay, for you to say all of that stuff,
1: you got a big responsibility it's, there. Yeah, right. And, you got a- you know, to
0: speak of congruence, congruency, congruency between your your thoughts and your 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 attitudes and beliefs, your principles and your behavior—that sort of stuff. I think, in some ways, the guy's just created a persona for himself. I don't, I don't know if if um, he took on that persona to to the point that now. He believes it. He be- Yeah, he believes it. All right. I mean, listen, we take a really deep dive. You, you could line up 30 PhDs, right, to try to diagnose Donald Trump from afar and from up close and probably get 30 different reactions. But, but all of that at the end of the day, I guess to me, just doesn't amount to a hill of beans as long as we're safe. Um, you know, the economy is doing well. Uh, I don't know. It Seems like he's got great kids that seem to be—you know—you don't see them in the tabloids screwing up. Well, I don't, anyway. I don't really read the tabloids, but it seems like his family is pretty squared away. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not. Uh, maybe my moral compass is off, Melissa. I don't know, but he just doesn't get me all that worked up. That's for sure.
1: And I, you know, I think. When we step back and we look at our blessing of being in a place like this and in a time like this, I think we need to take notice that we are in a land that we don't worry about, you know, soldiers coming and running into our homes and pulling out people from their beds and arresting them and putting them in concentration camps. That happened. That was real. Um, And I think about that kind of stuff when I realize I don't worry about those things for my children. Um, But they are possibilities in reality because they did happen and they are happening to people all over the planet right now. I mean, it really is a state of... It, we're in a, a nation that has had peace for a very long time and we can't take it for granted. Um, we're in a nation that has had abundance and resources for a very long time. We can't take it for granted that because it's been here for as long as we can remember that it should always be here and it will always be here and somehow we're entitled to it because we are who we are and we were born where we were. If we don't take collective personal action as human beings to take care of each other and to take care of the one resource that makes us a promising land. And that's our people. That's each other. And we don't help support each other and then take the blessings that we do have and give them back into the world. I mean I come back to Reynosa. You know, we we went there to take care of deaf ministry and build a school for children who didn't have any resources. Um, this, this nation, we, we went there, we were escorted by a hired person from the mafia cartel to protect us. And we had to go in lockdown because there was cartel shooting in the streets. It exists. It's real. Um, and that is a reality that some of our people in our nation actually do live with you know those those neighborhoods those communities drive by shootings all of the, i mean you know you have a law enforcement background you you've traveled the country you know that there are areas that children don't sleep well at night because there's shootings and there's crack neighborhoods and there's they don't know what their parents are doing and somebody's being beaten up and they're being robbed and whatever is happening within their communities and we can't take it for granted because the majority of us majority of us have that that just means that we're supposed to have and the have-nots are not supposed to have yeah
0: you know? i could listen i can just hear the voice of my my black brothers and sisters saying yeah well wh- what about brianna taylor right i mean she 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 dies in her home you know and then but but, but let's take that a little further um Senator Rand Paul is walking out of the White House the other night after Trump gave a speech and he's out on the streets and he's just being mobbed by people and someone um, brings up Breonna Taylor's name. And what that foolish individual didn't realize or didn't care to realize or just didn't care to do their homework, they didn't care to figure out that the man that they're out there castigating in the street and trying to intimidate is a man that's introduced a bill to stop no-knock warrants, so things like Brianna Taylor, you know, victims like Brianna Taylor are, are no more, you know. And so we, we, I just, I don't think that we can let emotion rule the day. That, that we have to be thoughtful in our response to the brokenness of our world. It can't be emotive all the time, because um, at some point, you know, that that's, that those feelings got to cool down a little bit, and we got to kind of heat up the thinking.
1: And we have, if we, if we understand that we take care of each other and that every single side, and we protect each other's rights to agree and disagree and to, to voice and to stand and to sit and to, you know, to, to be who we are, as long as we are giving each other that dignity and preserving each other as a nation we will protect that's what we have as a strength but the more we rile up and incite anger and hostility and and pit against and make the other side an enemy and and we deal with our own incongruency and we wind up with our own internal rage and that leads to two things it leads to anxiety or it leads to mass hostility um you know the the whole discussion about you know, our generation coming up now, we haven't even entered that, but what are we doing to our children? Like, what are we doing when we have to do Alice drills and lock our kids into school buildings and tell them shooters are going to come shoot at them? What are we doing when we have to hire armed guards? And that's not even a conversation this year because COVID such a thing. But this is the world we've created for each other. And right. what are we doing to that generation?
0: Well, I will tell you this. Um, it's, it's a great question. It's really something to think about because one of my children a few days ago sent me a text. Let me see. Okay, here it is. So this is a, it's a meme off of social media of a, a guy holding a sign that says, um, Dear white people, stop using Dr. King as an example of a peaceful protest. You shot him too. And so um, it's like, okay, well, okay, but you got a point, right? There, whoever put that out there, you, you, I understand your point. I get it. But we can't, we can't leave a whole generation of young people, regardless of their color, regardless of economics or station life or whatever, being made to feel like in some way they are responsible for the sins of the past, because that is just going to breed resentment. It's, it's not going to make sense to them. You know, we really, I'd rather much rather bombard them with um, messages of, of hope and, um, and a progress and, and moving beyond. I, I've said it on here many times. I'd like to, I'd like to live long enough that, uh, th- that we don't see this nonsense anymore, this division between races. And I'd like to live long enough I don't have to check what color I am or whatever on a, on a government form and, and all the rest of it. I, I think that would be, I don't think I will. Um, but I hope that my kids and my grandkids do because, uh, most kids, if we're not poking them all the time with all this nonsense, th- they'll just let it go. They'll, they'll just let it go. They're they're learning some foolishness from some folk that seem to be getting something from 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 continually stoking all this nonsense. Yeah. So, uh, and they
1: just want to they just want to live and dream and have a future and yeah, they yeah, want well, to and enjoy life.
0: Yeah, one of my one of my favorite uh, liberal atheist authors and podcasters is uh, Sam Harris, and, and uh, in his book uh, The Moral Landscape, uh, again another one on the shelf behind me. You know, he makes the point that cooperation is um, is probably more crucial uh, crucial to human survival than anything.
1: Anything else? Yep. Not-
0: so it- you start looking at the social contract and all that stuff. All of that is an effort to create. Uh, cooperation between human beings that have their own self interests, right, and, and and trying to get us on board as much as possible, going in the same direction to 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 cooperate, and, uh, and and I'm here to tell you that if I turn on the television tonight when we're done, and I see behavior that lends itself towards something other than cooperation, um, then then I'm going to say. Uh, that's not helpful uh and uh that is uh well it's it's not the it's not the spirit of it's not the holy spirit i'll 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 put it that way it's not the you know so if you're you're not non if you're non-christian you still get the idea of what i'm saying there it's it's not i don't know i don't i, I always come back i think the best way for me to put it's just not helpful it is not helpful to human survival and thriving and everything else as a society. So
1: I, one of the things that's rung in my head a lot, you know, the, the mask wearing conversation, obviously, is a political hot button that takes both sides. But, um, you know, I, I think about the lesson that I taught my students when we talk about anarchy and we talk about rules and all that kind of stuff was we agree to submit to certain rules so that we're all good together and stop lights are a prime example. Nobody is raging at the existence of a red light, right? They might be inconvenienced, they might be frustrated, they may be late, but everybody understands that if there's a red light, it is your obligation to stop because the person with the green light, they have the right to go. And you will get your turn with your green light in time. Some lights are worse than others, some are more frustrating than others, but the person that runs that red light is seen as a violator, like everybody that would witness it would go, like, oh, did you see what they just did? Because you're going to kill somebody out of your own desire, right? Your your own impatience, your your own insertion of your will. And we need to learn how to submit to one another in that way. We're taking turns. We're cooperating. You're going to get your green light. I've got my green light right now. So that signal says I'm going, you don't. So we don't crash in and kill each other. So we both get to get to the place where we need to be. It's communication. And communication, that's what the lights do, they communicate whose turn it is, is I think one of the things that we need to get better at. We need to get better at what words we're using and what those words mean. You know, We need to get better at when we're having these conversations of what's right and wrong. Why do we feel like that? What inside of us is triggering that? And then we respect it and say, I get that. Now I can see why I would wait this turn and let you go there or maybe you look at it from this perspective it was my green light the light was yellow and and so i think if you turn on you know the tv and see something that's you know not helpful <sighs> digging into these kinds of conversations and and saying well why is that and and what's going on and what does it really mean i think is helpful i think that this kind of conversation is helpful. And, you know, I am grateful for the audience that listens and tunes in because I think that their input in the dialogue and reflection is helpful and we need so much more of that.
0: Yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons why we want to start doing this uh, to begin with is that it's always fun for me to talk to people that, that I know that, that I'm going to have some sort of difference with because um, I like to think that I'm generally pretty rational and can have a conversation with folks and appreciate their, their perspective. I understand cogn- the, the cognitive structure, right? I understand that, 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 uh, let's say at the top of the iceberg, you have someone's actions, which you can see from a person. And then below the waterline, what you can't see is you can't see the thoughts and their feelings that are driving that behavior. And you can't see the attitudes and beliefs that actually inform their thoughts and feelings about a particular situation. What I know is, is that the bottom of my iceberg is the way I see the world uh, the way your your bottom of your iceberg informs how you see the world, and you don't have to see the world the way I do. I don't have to see the world the way you do, and to acknowledge that I think is called respect. And we don't have that seems to be a a little bit of a, a dying virtue at this point. At least, you know, at least it, at least it is on the television. We'll we'll say that you know if you if you want to get attention. If you want to get attention on social media and in the media in general, a good strategy, I think, would be to, let's say, uh, not respect uh, uh, the bottom of someone else's iceberg, right? <laughs> right. Tell them they're wrong. Tell them they're immoral. Tell them they're this. they they're telling them they're that. And then start an argument about it. And then people are going to go to their corners and they're going to debate and they're going to yell and scream at each other until, uh, I don't know, until there's rioting and looting in the streets. I, I don't know. Um let me let me uh, just answer Paul Paul asked a good question here or uh, made a statement and asked a good question. Uh, the thing is, sins of the past were done by people who are still alive. Do you think they didn't teach their offspring the same thing? Well, th- that may be true, right? So maybe they did. I will I will say this that I don't think there's any gosh, I don't know the last six months. I'd say b- b- prior to COVID, I would have to say there was just no doubt in my mind that society is really just trending in the, the right direction. Um, so, but do all offspring adapt or adopt the viewpoints of their parents? Well, of course they don't. Of course they don't. If, if you had 100% of people who were bigoted in some sort of way, does that mean 100% of their offspring are going to go along with that? No. There would be a percentage that's for sure, but I think that that certainly is is dwindling. And like Jesus said, the poor will always be among you. I think the bigots will always be among you. If we don't give them so much attention, which is what they crave, then most of the time they'll just go away. They they've really just become they will become they will be a very insignificant part of our culture if we'll just allow them to be insignificant. We just give them so much attention, and that that's what I'm afraid of. So, uh, so do they teach? Well, yeah, of course. I'm, I'm sure they do, but, but I'm, I'm hopeful that things are going, uh, <laughs> I'm just looking. I'm Paul, I'm that Paul, on. I mean, Paul wants to argue with me. I'd love to do it too. I gotta send him a link to this show. I got like, a whole handful of people. I just need to send them links to the show and then they can just chime in whenever they want. I can send Paul a link. And uh, as long as he's got a camera and a, And a microphone, he he can jump in here. Uh, I I will say that the iceberg analogy is pretty common analogy in terms of describing um, uh, someone's, uh, you know, the cognitive, uh, cognitive behavioral structure. So, but, but uh, point well well taken.
1: Yes, yeah, the things that we don't know are actually seeding our thoughts and our perceptions and our views
0: yeah look i I know what my attitudes and beliefs are. they're below the surface. I know what they are, but the point is Melissa, you don't know what they are, right? And so th- you could make judgments about what they are, but at the same time, there could be some discrepancy there. there could be some um level of incongruency there as well. and but so-
1: the conversation is so important because the more we have the opportunity to truly get to know each other and have those conversations, the more we get to respect each other, Um, we get to see things. And this was a cool thing that I realized a couple of years ago. Um, As I look at somebody, and it doesn't quite work, I think the same way here necessarily, but face-to-face, you're staring at somebody face-to-face and you assume you're sharing the same exact reality because you're looking at each other face-to-face. But in reality, you literally see nothing that that other human being is witnessing at that moment. There is not a single thing that you can observe that they are seeing in their mind's eye. And the same with that other person, you're looking at them, they can't see their face, you see around them, they can't see behind them. There is nothing in the perceptions of the two people, but until they communicate, and if they're working together and cooperating, they can explain the entire environment, they can see each other's perceptions, they can, they can take care of each other. And they can explain the world in, in a whole new way. God, you know, when He created us, and I'm going to come back to this, but when God created man, He created man and woman in His image, right? He didn't create one person to look like God, He made all of humanity in His image. And none of us really look exactly alike. I've got an identical twin sister, I don't exactly look like her. But all together, collectively, that's why every single person in that conversation is so important because all together, collectively, we make up that image of God. And when we violate each other and we don't acknowledge it, we're missing, we're missing the essence of what God has done in and through us.
0: Well, that's a, that's a good uh, way to end. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll end with that wisdom right there. Uh the, the, I, you know, this, this really just makes me want to go into a uh, discussion of uh of order and chaos. Uh <laughs> Peterson <laughs> uh, Yeah. Well, yes, absolutely. Some, some some good Jordan Peterson uh uh wisdom for for sure. Uh Paul says that you are a uh you are a great guest. Uh Thank you So, you know, I I did. Gosh, you know what? We have not. I don't think on small talk. I don't think we've gone this long for for quite a while. But but when our uh, families and and friend groups have um, have converged upon the winery, it is generally you and I sitting off uh, solving the world's problems. So uh, I figured this this might be the case that it would it would go uh, this long. So. Uh, maybe what I ought to do is get really smart and start really limiting this and then try to get you on like three times, you know, <laughs> for 30 minute conversations and make my job of recruiting people to uh, come on the show a little bit easier. Maybe that's uh, the strategy I should employ in the future, but
1: it would be fun. Definitely.
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> there's, you know, there's other things to talk about for sure. Like one of the things that I wrote down was, um, that you said, uh, learning wisdom, you know, that that right there is just a very interesting thing to say like how how does one go about even learning wisdom and what is wisdom and according to who is that wisdom and if we don't agree on that person being the arbiter of all that is wise how do we still like you see what i'm saying like there's there's a lot to unpack in my brain, when you just say something like we got to <laughs> learn wisdom. So. All right. So I'm going to exercise uh, the wisdom to go ahead and call it quits for the for the night. So I appreciate everyone watching Small Talk this evening. Listen, I love it. If uh, if you would share this, I can always tell by the views when people actually share the broadcast and, and when they uh, when they do not. So please uh, share it, particularly if you think uh, uh, Melissa is a great guest, as Paul says. Paul, you need to. I, Paul, I will call you sometime. By the way, uh, Paul told me to call him, and um, and 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 since Paul said that Melissa is a great guest, I think that I should be looking on Paul's uh, news feed or Facebook feed. What what do you call that, Melissa? I don't know what, what is that. News feed. News feed. Well, oh, your news feed. Okay so yeah. I should look on Paul's <laughs> news feed and be able to see small talk on there right I need I need the London Ohio crowd where I grew up I need them watching small talk and and Paul Paul is the way he is he is the way to that audience I believe so um, so again Melissa thank you for uh, coming on tonight I appreciate it um, hey uh share the podcast uh, download uh small talk on apple google and spotify and uh we'll be back again next week at eight o'clock right here tuesday night so take right. care of yourself have, have a good conversation thoughtful conversations with people you disagree with in the meantime and remain friends afterwards that's what okay. it's all about
1: explore